Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. A song about regrets, right? Wishing you hadn't made some decisions in the past that are putting you in a certain situation today. Anybody ever had any of those? Welcome to humanity, right? And that's what happens. Man, I wish I hadn't let her go, but I made that decision, and now here I am. And I got to live with that. You guys, when we talk about resolutions, really, I think that's what happens, is we kind of look back. That's what happens. We look back at our year, and hindsight is always 2020. And we say things like, man, I wish I had done this, or, or I wish it, I had done this, or what, what, would ha- what was I doing? Why was I thinking? And then you find yourself in your present situation, and you are absolutely caught up living a life right now that you don't even want to live. And so these things happen, and so they, they call you stop, you kind of turn your head, and then eventually you'll actually turn around. And that's what a resolution is. You make a strong determination to say, you know what? I'm going to start doing something that I hadn't been doing because this is not the life I want to be living. Or I'm going to stop doing something that I was doing because it's totally, completely robbing me of my life. And so today, as we look at this uh, uh, series, we're going to be talking about the word repent. Now, didn't that bring just a bunch of warm fuzzies to you, (laughs) right? Some of you are like, can I go get some coffee and then keep walking? Um, (laughs) This word repentance does, it just feels bristly, it feels cold. You picture the guy in the street corner, you know, condemning you to hell. And, and, um, but what's interesting, if you look at the etymology of the word repent, where did this come from? It came from a Greek word that was, two, two Greek words actually, that mean to perceive afterwards. Now what does that mean? It means to think after. So instead of thinking proactively about doing something, the word actually meant You look at what just happened, and you start thinking about it. Isn't that interesting? That's where the word repent came from. But the reason it turned into what we believe in how it's used is it came to mean turn. Because you started looking at the direction of your life, decisions you've made, you thought about them, and you finally realized they're not good. And so you make a turn, and you're going to start walking in a completely different direction. Now, sometimes we decide to make a turn. And I think that's what happens in January and resolutions and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes somebody else calls us to make a turn, calls us to stop and change. So I went to college at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Anybody heard of that? Like two, yeah, Steve and Mary, my friends. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> no, I mean, it's a ho-dunk little school, Wilmore, Kentucky, man. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And uh, one of the things we used to love to do is, is go out hiking in some of the beauty. And there was this gorge, which literally was like these really steep uh, hills that went straight down on cliffs to this raging river at the bottom, just absolutely beautiful. It was in the fall with the colors. And so we decided to take this hike. And uh, to get to the gorge, you actually had to walk through this farmer's field. And this was Kentucky, and literally, that farmer would shoot at you. Now, when you're 22 years old in college, what is that? That's fun. That's all. Like, are you serious? This is great. So you'd park your car, and you'd hide your car, and then you'd just bolt, man. You'd run through this field and hope you'd make it. And we made it, and we got there, and, and we were just having fun doing our hike. And we were on the really steep part, and I looked over, probably brought from me to that wall, and a friend of mine just got freaked out. She was scared because it was really slippery. The, the leaves had all fallen on the ground, and the ground underneath was kind of wet. It had been rained, so it was really slippery. <clears throat> and she was stuck, so I thought, all right, I'm just going to go over, and I'm going to help her out. 
So as soon as I started walking over to her, my feet slipped on those leaves and my butt hit the ground and I just started sliding down this really steep hill. Which again, when you're in 22, what is that? Yeah, it's fun, man. I'm like, woo! You know, I'm just, I'm just screaming. I'm just totally enjoying this ride down the thing. In the midst of my screams, I hear other screams. Stop! And I, I mean, they're faint because they were coming from my friends who were at the bottom at the river. And so, but I could hear them, so I reached out my hand and I grabbed this little tree and I stopped my fall. Went over, got the girl, made it back down, got to the bottom. When I made it to the bottom, I stood at the river and I looked up and you could see my trail from the leaves that I was sliding down. If I had gone 15 feet more, I would have dropped 50. I want to tell you, man, that was a very sobering moment. And it was amazing how you could switch from fun and exhilaration to all of a sudden realizing, what was I doing? If I would have kept going, my life is over. Sometimes other people have to call out to you and cry out to you and say, stop! Because the path you're on is leading to destruction. And here's what I want to tell you guys today. God calls us to repentance. God calls us to stop because he is the only one who can see what we're doing. He's the only one who knows what is right and what is good, and he's the only one who knows the paths we're on. And many times in our life, we can be like, woo! And he's like, stop! And we're all like, God, stop. Quit ruining my life. I know what I'm doing. We all have these ways. The fact the Bible says there are ways that seem right to a man, right? And so we have those. And I just want to tell you, today what we're going to talk about is will you respond to God when you hear him yell, stop? When you hear the voice of God speak to you and say, turn around, man, the direction you are heading leads to death. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. we got to go beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. So what he's saying here is this. You guys, if you're going to go on any journey at all with God, if you're going to go on any journey with Jesus and really experience him, the foundation for that is you must repent from acts that lead to, what was the word? Death. And you got to put your faith in God. So that's where we're going to go here. And I just want to tell you, this is, this, is, this is, you know, not light, fluffy message today, but it is the greatest message for you. Because in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Anybody, you need some refreshing? Okay? I don't know, man. Maybe some of you walked in here today and you are so heavy and you are so burdened. So I know this. In the crowd this size, some of you are in here and you have felt so much guilt and so much condemnation for the life that you're living. Some of you are so riddled with anxiety and with fear and with heaviness and you need some refreshing. I want to tell you, I went to the dentist this week, right? And I lay down in the chair, and as they're in my mouth, I look up, and there's a picture of the Bahamas. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and it's like, why? Because it calms you. It's refreshing. How, listen to me. 
Our hum- I guarantee you in the next 20 minutes, your nature, my human nature, is going to fight God. And at the same time, all he's doing is calling out to you because he knows where the life you're leading is going. And he knows that if you'd turn to him, he'd forgive you, forgive you of your sin, and bring times of refreshing for your soul. So, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. And while I'm praying, till your own soil of your heart and see if you actually want to hear from God today. I don't know why you're here today. But I do, can I tell you this? I do know I've been praying for you. I prayed that God would bring the people here today who need to hear this message. I believe he wants to refresh you, okay? Let's let him do it. Let's pray. God, we come to you because you came to us. That's it. We're here today because you loved us, because you yelled at us out of grace and mercy and care for our souls. We're here today because you sent Jesus, because you so loved us that you sent Jesus to testify to the truth, to let us know the reality of where our lives were heading. You did not send Jesus to condemn the world. You sent him to save it, and we're grateful, and that's why we're here. Thank you for letting us know the path that we were on that was going to lead to death. And thank you that in place you want to bring us life. So God, you know every heart in this room. There's not a human being, me included, who doesn't need to repent. And I ask today that you'd help each individual hear your sweet voice out of your great compassion for them and help them to turn towards you one more time to receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So before Jesus showed up on the scene, John the Baptist came on, right? And John the Baptist's whole message was what? Surprise, repent. Repent, why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. So, and then John's baptism was a baptism for the repentance of sin. Or, I'm sorry, for the forgiveness of sin. So basically, all John was saying was, listen, you guys, I know you're living your own way and you're doing your own thing and you're totally caught up in your own life and God isn't even a part of that, but Jesus is coming. The kingdom of heaven is near and so turn around. That's what, that's what John's whole job was, to tell people to turn around and be baptized into a baptism of repentance, which means in my soul, I actually am going to turn towards God. So cool. So then Jesus begins his ministry. And the very first thing it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. All that was Jesus saying, and I believe it's what he's going to say to you today. He's going to say, would you turn towards me? Why? Because the way of God, God's presence and his reign and the life is right here, that close to you. So I want to share something with you. That I, that I learned, I actually read this a couple weeks ago, and it totally turned a light bulb on for me. Huge. And I, I wasn't supposed to speak today. Actually, Mike Rutledge is supposed to be here, but he, pray for him. That dude is messed up, all right? He's got pneumonia, bronchitis. It's like he's just, he's just sicker than a dog. And, but I'm telling you, if I, maybe nothing else, I think you're supposed to hear this today, okay? Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. What's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is when you are sad because you got caught 
and you're sad for the consequences. You hate the fact that now you're paying the price for what you did. Parents, how many of your kids have worldly sorrow? Like, I, it's so funny. I'm serious. Like, when I, when I discipline my kids, I'm so frustrated because the only thing they're sad about is I don't get to play PlayStation. Right? I mean, that's why they're sad. Mariah, our oldest, says this to Caleb all the time. She goes, you're not. He'll say, I'm sorry. And she goes, no, you're not. Because nothing's going to change. Right? And, and, and seriously, when you're working with your kids, right, and, they, and they're saying they're sorry, can't you tell? You can tell when they're saying sorry and they have no intention whatsoever of changing. And you can tell when they say they're sorry and you know they're moving towards you. Isn't that what you long for? What God wants, you guys, is godly sorrow. He doesn't want you to be sad because you got caught and now you're paying consequences for your stuff. He wants you to be sorry. As one guy said, he goes, worldly sorrow is when we're sorry for breaking God's laws. Godly sorrow is when we're sorry for breaking his heart. See, because when you're doing stuff and you know God is not pleased, what happens is your, your closeness with God, it just, we grieve the Spirit. We put out His fire. And so some of you are here today, and you know right now, it's like you're not experiencing closeness with God at all, which is life. And so what godly sorrow does is you finally go, I hate that, and so you turn to God. Godly sorrow actually leads, it brings repentance. But now look at this verse. Throw it back up there for me. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Can I share something with you? Repentance leads to salvation. Repentance is not salvation. This is so critical for some of you in here today. Repentance leads to it, but it is not salvation. When John did his baptism, he was like, dude, you got to start here. And you, gotta, you have to turn around towards God. He goes, because Jesus is coming. And eventually, he's going to baptize you not with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's gonna actually going to put his spirit inside of you. And so what happens is some of you are here today because you want your life to change. And I, way to go. And some of you, by being here at church today, you have repented. Some of you have turned towards God today. But I want to tell you, that's a necessary first step. But in 26 years of doing ministry, and I want to say especially the nine that I've been here at K2, I have seen oogles of people turn towards God and actually never be saved. This leads to salvation. It's not salvation. It is not enough just to turn towards God. Because here's what happens is, if you just turn towards God, then you try to be a good person, and you try to keep going to church, and you try to do the things he wants you to do, and guess how long that lasts? And what are we talking about? A resolution that lasts. See, so be careful, because if you just go, man, I went to church, and I'm interested in God, and I even started reading my Bible, that's all good stuff. But you are saved by grace through faith. See, you can't just turn towards God. Eventually, what you have to do is you have to put your trust in Christ. You have to put your faith in him. Because the reason you don't experience the closest with God is because of sin that all of us have. 
Turning towards God doesn't forgive your sins. It leads to that. But eventually what you have to do is you have to say, you know what, Jesus? I trust you. I believe that you are the Son of God and that when you died on that cross, you were dying for me. I believe that my sin is going to be punished and I don't want to pay the punishment for it anymore. I believe you paid it for me. See, here's what happens, you guys. Oswald Chambers, January 10th. This is where I heard this. He said, what happens is you turn towards him. But people who turn towards God, some of you have never actually received anything from him. And you wonder, how come my walk with God doesn't last? It's because you never received the power to keep going. The power's not in you and your goodness. The power's in receiving his forgiveness and when you receive his forgiveness, you receive his spirit. And it's when you receive his spirit that now the Bible says if anyone's in Christ, the old's gone, the new's come. Man, you are a new creation. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, see, some of you do. Some of you are going, what? And I just want to tell you, please don't be duped. The Bible says, man, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you're going to be judged more strictly. That's fun, isn't it? So here's what I know. When I stand before Jesus one day, he is going to say to me, did you make sure that people knew that they didn't just need to repent, but they actually needed to receive forgiveness for their sins? Did you let people know that Jesus died on the cross, not just for the heck of it? He died to take away their sin. And did you tell them they've got to receive that by faith to get connected back to me? Did you tell them that that's when they'll receive the Spirit of God? And once they become my kid, then the resolution will last because they're mine. And I just got to let you know, now you've heard it. So when you stand before him and he says, did you ever receive me? It's like, no. Oh, crap. Nelson told me that. <laughs> There's no life with God without receiving his forgiveness and without receiving his spirit. Repentance leads to salvation. It's not salvation. And I believe some of you are here today because you actually are repenting and you want God in your life. And my exhortation to you today is then put your faith in Christ and allow him into your life and you will never be the same again. All right? Okay. Now, now let's turn to all of us Christians. Am I on, by the way? Did I? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, check one, two. All right, here we go. Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yes and no. All right. All right. I think I hear my self now. How are we doing, Tim? We doing all right? Okay. So now, here's the deal, though. So some of us repented, and we actually put our faith in Christ. We received forgiveness, and we received his spirit. It's awesome. And how many of you still need to repent? All of you. Okay? So here's what's interesting, is even as Christians, you must repent regularly. And, and the thing is, we still struggle with this, but I'm telling you, if you really understand the gospel, repentance should be fun, because when you repent, what happens? Your sins get wiped out, and you receive times of refreshing. Right? See, as the followers of Christ, we should be like, all the time, we should have a rhythm of repentance. Lad said that to me this morning. I had regular, I like his better. A rhythm of repentance. Every single day, we should sit before a holy God and say, did I do anything? Am I walking away from you in any way? And then if we are, if his spirit lets us know, we should go immediately. I'm turning back because, woo, I'm going to be forgiven and I'm going to be refreshed. 
But instead, we like to wander off. And we like to forget that all of our sins were forgiven. And much of you right in here, you believe in Jesus, and you're not living the life at all that he died for you to have. Okay? Let's change that. Anybody want to change that today? All right. Let's freaking change that. All right. James 5, 19 through 20. So he writes this whole book, and at the very end of the book, talking about this struggle to respond to God. These are the last two verses of the book. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander. So who's he talking to? Brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? Yeah, he's talking to the church. And he's saying, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is no small business, right? I believe today is a day where some of you have wandered from the truth and you're paying for it because, why, again, if you wandered from the truth, it's like sliding down the hill. And he says, if you keep going, you're going to leave a wake of destruction both for your own soul and your own life and for all of your relationships. And some of you are Christians, and that's your reality today. So he says, come on, man, let's bring us back, and you can save people from death and cover a multitude of sins. So then he goes on here in James 4, 4 through 5. And he says this. He addresses his church, and he says, you adulterous people. Isn't that a great greeting from a pastor? You guys want me to greet you that way from now on? <laughs> Good morning, K2, you adulterous people. So, well, what's he, why is he saying this? See, here's the deal. I can only commit adultery against one person on this planet. Who is that? Yeah, my wife. Right? That's it. Now, I can commit adultery with other people, but I can only commit adultery against one person. Why is that? By definition, I can only commit adultery against Susie because I am what? One with her. I made a covenant with God, and the Bible, Jesus makes it very clear that when you get married, God says you were two, and now you are one flesh. And what God has joined together, let nobody separate. So, here I am, and I am bound together in oneness with Susie, so if I go sexually outside of marriage at all with another human being, then I've committed adultery. And so James uses that to address his church. Why? Listen, you guys, what is he saying about you? He's going, the only reason I can call you adulterous is because you have been made one with God. When you were baptized into Christ, He is in you, and you are in Him, and you belong to Him. So if you're, and so He says, now, if you're going outside of me and my ways, you're committing adultery because you and I are knit together in a new covenant of my blood shed for you. You guys see, see how that works? So then He goes, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us? See, that last phrase, that's the other one. This is just love language, right? What's James saying? Man, when you knit yourself and became one, when you received Christ... He loves you, man, and you are his, and he is yours. And so if you start going off and messing with the world and looking to other things besides Jesus, he jealous, God says, I jealously long for the spirit I put inside you. You're mine. 
So, so church, come on. Quit playing the game here. You're married. I mean, that's, by the way, so cool, right? This is in Ephesians 2, all of you who are taking the class. We're going to get to that point where marriage is simply a representation of our union with God. So we're one with him. It's awesome. Now, we get to this and it says, don't you know, all you adulterous people, that if you're friends with the world, you're at enmity with God? And by the word, that word enmity means to be actively opposed or hostile towards someone. How many of you, don't even raise your hands, please. How many of you had any idea that when you make friendship with the world right now, and this is hard in American culture, that you are actually actively opposing God and hostile towards him? Shooey. But we're like, wait a second, I'm not supposed to be a friend of the world? Didn't God so love who? The world? Well, yes, Absolutely. Everybody who has Christ in them will love every person in this world. When he says don't be friends with the world, he's talking about the patterns and the systems and the philosophies of this world. Don't become friends with the ways of this world. Listen to this. Earlier in James chapter 3, 14 through 17, he says this. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it is earthly. It's worldly. It's unspiritual and demonic. Try this one on your kids, guys. It's awesome. I did this a couple weeks ago. What are you being? Selfish. What is that? Demonic? (laughs) Anyway. No, No, but seriously. You know, because we think about all these sins, right? Some of you right now, you've got sins in your mind that if somebody else was doing them, you'd be all over them, wouldn't you? You know right now, it's like there are certain people who are, I'm going to, we'll, we'll judge people for those sins. How many of you are selfish? <laughs> I'm serious. And so, but here's what's weird. He goes on, he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So man, so he says, you guys, are you being friends with the world? Come on, Americans, are you being friends with the world? Are, are you searching for stuff? Do you need more stuff? Do you need things for you? Are you envious because other people have things that you don't have? Or do you have selfish ambition? Are you trying to be the more and are you willing to step over other people? Are you engaged in a marriage where you're not ex- serving the other person at all, but you're hoping that they'll serve you and be what you want because you have self? I mean, I'm telling you guys, this is, and what he's saying is, you guys, when you have friendship with the world, 1 John 2, he says, don't love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So, church, adulterers, let's stop this. Now, that's why last week, remember, how do we make a resolution with God that lasts? Man, we need each other. We got to encourage each other. How often? Daily. We need to be there to spur one another on. This is tough to live in America and not have the American dream mixed with Jesus. That's what what he's talking about here. And he says, you got to be really careful with that. Now, 
Here's what's interesting. So let me just dive in just a little bit more with us to help you today. And again, I'm, I'm just talking to all of you guys who would say, I follow, I'm a, I've, I've received Christ. I, I, I believe in him, okay? One of the biggest places the word repent is used is in the book of Revelation, all right? Now, if you're new to Christianity, don't read Revelation, okay? <laughs> it will freak you out. And very important book, just kind of bizarre for those of you who are starting. But in the very beginning, Jesus addresses the churches. Now, again, if you're in the Ephesians class, it's Ephesians, it's Ephesus, and the surrounding churches, the same ones you read about uh, this week, okay? And then, here's what he says to the church. And I think some of these things he says to them, he might be saying to us today. To Ephesus, he says this. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You endured hardship for my name, and you haven't grown weary. Way to go, right? He goes, man, you guys have stuck with it through hard times, and you haven't given up, and you're still part of the church. Way to go. He goes, I just have this one thing against you. You don't love me anymore. It says, actually, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Can I just ask you guys, some of you guys who are, who are Christians, do you feel that way? Are you someone who's like, man, I'm still doing it, and I am still come to church, and I still do this, but the reality is my love for God is just kind of gone. And here's what's cool is God's just saying, I never asked you to like be super religious, do something guy. I just wanted you to love me. I want you to know my love, and I want you to love me. So he says, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What's he saying? You guys, is Jesus your first love? Or is your job your first love? Or is your spouse your first love? Or your kids? Or money? Or church? Is there anything that you love more than him? Jesus is going, that's just not okay. That's not okay. Turn and get back to just loving me. And let's love each other. All right? So some of you sitting here, that may be the thing he's asking you. He might be saying to you today, you've just lost your love for me. Okay? The next two churches, Pergamum and Theatra. He says this, you never waved in persecution. You, listen to this. You live where Satan has his throne. Wouldn't that be a bummer to hear that one? I mean, crap. All right. But he says this to them. You live where Satan has his throne and you've never renounced your faith. Way to go. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He goes, that's awesome. I'm glad you haven't renounced your faith. To those two churches, you know what he said? He goes, but here's the problem. You have totally embraced the sexual practices of your culture. And he goes, that's not okay. There is sexual immorality rampant. All sex outside of marriage is not my design, and you're completely engaging in it. And he goes, that's not okay, church. You're married to me. You're with me, and you follow me. And man, I want to tell you guys, in our culture today, this is hard because everything in our culture says whatever sexually you want to do, you are free to do. And the Bible says, listen, way to go. Glad you haven't renounced your faith, but come on. Remember, sexual purity is of God, and he calls us to that. And so for some of you right now, that may be your deal. You know that you're involved in stuff that God doesn't want you to be involved in. All right? Sardis, he says this, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive 
but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Can I just talk to us at K2? I wonder about that for us as a church. You have a reputation of being alive. How many of you say kind of in our call, in our, we have a reputation of being alive as a church? Like I, in my community, I talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, I've heard of K2. Or yeah, I've been there. I like that place. Uh, do we have a reputation of being alive? But are we actually dead? That's a, that's a, that's a deep question I have to answer. Now, when it says this, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished. How many of you know our deeds are unfinished at K2? Okay, I, I hope more of you would know that. Um, because we're not done, man. We have got so much more to do. And here's, I just want to, again, if you're visiting, this is great. But can I just tell you, man, if you call K2 the church your home, are you alive? Yeah. Are you in? Yeah. Are you totally engaged in this body or do you just come? And is there, who are we talking about? James. <laughs> James said, faith without action is what? Dead. Dead. And so you can be saying all that you want and saying that you're this and believing this. And James, in this whole book, he's saying, if you don't respond to God, your faith is dead. And I just want to say, come on. We, our work isn't done. It's not finished. Let's be a church that's alive that's responding to God and experiencing the power of His Spirit. The last one in Laodicea, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is so fun to teach as a pastor, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's hard, but at the same time, if we're sliding down a slope and nobody will tell us that we're actually heading to death and destruction, then there's no love there. And Jesus loves you. That's, he loves this. He loves his church. And that's why he's saying this. Come on, guys. Lukewarm? Tooey. I mean, that's what he's saying. This kind of hangout, little Jesus, little that, maybe if I feel like it. Do you guys hear what he's saying? Don't claim to be married to Christ and love him like that. Don't. And here's what he says. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I think this is to America. You go. You get all you need. You take care of yourself and you live for yourself. And you think you're okay. He's like, man, no. You need to repent. Don't call yourself a follower of Christ and walk in that direction. You can't do both. So the very next verse, here's what he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. My friends, you guys, were not yelling at me at the bottom of the river because they wanted to ruin my fun. They were yelling at me because they knew where my slide was going to take me. When God rebukes you, when he disciplines you, when he corrects you, here's what we struggle to believe, is it's all because he loves us. I only do those to those that I love. 
if you're hearing God this morning and he's saying, please turn, please turn, it's all because of his love for you. The last verse is he says this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, some of you have been Christians for a long time. How many, how many of you guys seen that picture of Jesus by the door? Right? Classic little. Okay. And we all thought, well, Jesus stands at the, door, the heart of people who don't believe in him yet, and he knocks on their door so he can come in. I, I believe that's true. But did you guys hear the context of this? Whose heart, whose door is he knocking on? Yours. He's knocking on your door. Right? Which is so interesting. And he's saying, all of you guys who have wandered, I'm knocking. And he says, and if you open up the door, what's he going to do? Can't believe you guys did that. Right? Is that what he's going to do? No. What's he going to do? I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with you. And you with me. We're going to feast together again. You guys, what is God's role in repentance? You know what his role is? Stop. I love you. I care for you. I want to be with you. God's role, too, is when you repent, to come in gently, right? What is it that leads to repentance? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Because we know once we turn back to him, he will forgive you. He will give you times of refreshing. The prodigal son story was what? You will turn and the father will run to you. So, let's do it. And your role, guys, in repentance is not to try to do more. It's simply to confess your sins. And I want to encourage you, do it specifically. Don't say, God, I'm really sorry for what I did last week. I think I've shared this before. I did that once, and I felt like God said, well, what'd you do? And I was like, well, you know. And he's like, I know, you tell me. And as soon as I told him specifically what I did, I actually could repent. So some of you today, you need to specifically tell God what you've done. And turn back towards him. And the other last thing is the most powerful thing. I talked about it last week. Is confess your sins to one another. So that you can be healed. There's power in having another human being. An agent of grace to you. So here's how we're going to close today. Totally different than normal. Our prayer team is going to come forward here. I'm going to pray for you. We told last week we have a response team. Who are just they're going to be here to encourage you to pray for you, to lead you into God's presence so you can get the mercy and grace that you need. And some of you just know, it's like, I cannot walk out of here the way I walked in. I'm not going to play this game anymore. Some of you, for the first time, instead of just repenting, you've heard God say today, please don't just repent. Receive me. Receive my forgiveness. And put your faith in me and let me come into your life. And we will be here to pray for you, to encourage you. So I'm going to pray. And the team's going to come forward. And here's what I want you to do. I believe every one of you has something, because you're human. Me too. And we're just going to have silence as we leave the place today. And you are free to get up and go whenever you want. But just honor kind of the time. And some of you, I think, are just going to need to sit here in your chair for a moment and actually have a time of repentance with Jesus. We want to be a church that responds to God because it brings life. I want to encourage you to respond to him today. All right? Let's pray. Oh, thank you, God.
Thanks for your message of grace, of forgiveness. Thanks for convicting us, for screaming out into our hearts to let us know when we're headed down a path of destruction. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for all of our sin so that we can be completely forgiven. Thank you that when we turn towards you and we put our faith in you, we actually receive complete forgiveness of sin. Thank you for that. Thank you that you want to refresh every one of us today. And you will do that if we'll be honest and confess our sin and repent. So Lord, come in this moment right here today and help us to walk out of here different than the way we came in so we can really know you for your honor and for the glory and praise of your name, Jesus. Amen.